and welcome to the Fish Nerds. I'm Clay Groves, your host and chief executive fish nerd of the Fish Nerds podcast. And we have got an exciting show for you. This is crazy. Um, we're kind of all over the place. But uh, first, in today's show, we're going to have Doc Martin. She's, uh, if you don't know Doc Martin, she's wonderful. She's our fish doctor from Kansas. Uh, Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for the F in Blue is going to check in uh, with us about some ocean news. I got to go to a foodie show with Amanda Doty from the Great Beer Adventure podcast. And of course, we got some listener feedback. So lots going on tonight, and we're happy to bring it to you. I think first, though, I should check in a little bit. I've been, I've been trying to fly fish, and it hasn't been working out so well. I've been out about 10 times since the season began, uh, and the, I, I can't seem to catch a fish using a fly, and my, I'm pretty sure that fly fishermen just don't like catching fish. They just like showing off how good they can cast and bragging about how well they release fish that they don't seem to catch. Uh, but I've been fishing and fishing and fishing for nothing. And finally, I put down the fly rod and got my spinning rod out. And, of course, I caught tons of fish. Uh, most recently, I was out at a river in, here in Conway, New Hampshire. And I'm fly fishing. And I can see this stupid fish in the water, salmon, just sitting right in front of me. And I'm casting and casting and casting. And I'm getting near it and doesn't care one bit about my fly. I switch flies. I do two or three different kinds of flies. Uh, I use people's advice. It doesn't make any difference. The fish doesn't care. So I run back to my truck and I grab my fishing rod. It has an old-fashioned spinner on it and uh, a spoon on it, excuse me. And the first cast, boom, salmon. Doc took some photos, let the salmon go, and then moved to a different spot in the river, made another cast, and boom, got a really nice uh, rainbow trout, which I took home and ate. Um, But... Don't worry, I will be getting on that fly rod tomorrow and trying to get something done. Uh, I'm just, it's, I just don't understand. <laughs> but everyone says, once you start catching fish in the fly, you'll get it. Um, and uh, so I'll, I'll be sure to report back so you'll know how I'm doing with my adventures in fly fishing. Uh, I'm not going to be discouraged. I will get this one day. All right. Hey, but uh, before we get into the meat of the show, we got some feedback from last week's show. Listener Mike Steffen dropped us a message here. He says, in the podcast, you guys talked about the ubiquity of sticklebacks in science. I want to correct him. I never used the word ubiquity because I do not know what it means. Uh, sticklebacks are largely considered a model for evolution. This is largely because they have been, they have become... <laughs> they have become they have become isolated multiple times into fresh water and probably back to salt from from invasions. Uh, they've evolved different forms in freshwater benthic versus limnic and variation in armor and many different behaviors. Since these things have happened multiple times, it acts as a natural evolutionary re- replicate. Replication is good in science. Uh, for other fish, you see a lot in science, including zebrafish uh, and fathead minnows which uh, zebrafish are used for genetics and fathead minnows for toxicology. Uh, And Mike's friend actually uh, got a job studying sticklebacks in British Columbia, he thinks, in Iceland. So so they're really a nice fish for studying with. I should say Mike is an evolutionary biologist at UNH, a research biologist, and knows what he's talking about. So I will take him at his word. Uh, Sticklebacks are commonly used in science because they're good evolutionary uh, measures. So thanks, Mike, for checking in. And we're super glad you listened to the show. And we love that people smarter than us um, 
are are part of this uh, adventure of the Fish Nerds podcast. So thanks, Mike. Okay, the doctor is in. I'm going to tell you what, Doc Martin makes me so happy, and she will make you happy too. Doc uh, Martin is a college professor out in Kansas, and she knows more about fish than almost anybody, and she did a little bit of a song parody for us, so here it is. Hey, fish nerds. I took Jay-Z's 99 Problems and adapted it for you guys. Um, Of course, it's rap to acoustic, so it's a little weird, but if you know Jay-Z and you appreciate him like I do, maybe you'll appreciate this too. Smokes, uh, wow! That Doc Martin sure can uh, sure can do a job to make us happy. We love we love Doc Martin. If you have any questions for Doc Martin, or you want to send her on a fishy mission to learn something, you can find her at the Fishners Podcast Group on Facebook, or email info at fishners and Doc Martin will find your message. Uh, this show is brought to you by you, our listeners. We are asking all of our regular, regular listeners to donate $1 per episode. That's $4 a month to help us sustain this show. You can go to patreon.com slash fishnerds to sign up to donate. Okay, and next up we have Andrew Lewin. Andrew Lewin is host of Speak Up for the in Blue podcast. He's Canadian. He's our friend. Uh, and uh, he brings us Ocean News um, just about every week. This is his sixth uh, installment, and we're glad to have him as part of the show. You can check out his podcast, the same place you get our podcast, which is on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be. And this is Andrew Lewin, Speak Up for Effin' Blue. Welcome, everybody, back to the Speak Up for Effin' Blue news segment here on Fish Nerds Podcast. I uh, missed you for a week. Sorry about that. Got pretty busy. Uh, but Clay, let me back on, and I'm going to tell you about some ocean news. We're going to talk about marine mammals today, and we're going to talk about leaders in ocean conservation and whether we need them. I have a, some thoughts on that. Love to hear back from your thoughts. Of course, you can always hit Clay and I up on the on the uh, Fish Nerds Facebook group. Clay will have more information on how to get onto that. Uh, but let's talk about some marine mammals. And uh, there's a there was a story that came out recently. 
uh, about humpback whales. And usually, lately, when we see stories about humpback whales, it's about their recovery and how they used to be hunted when they were uh, back in the back in the early 1900s. And now, ever since whaling has stopped on humpback whales in most areas, um, the population has just increased, and it's been and it's been great. A lot of times, there you know, people are talking about taking them off the endangered list or at least delisting from from the endangered species list. But um, but unfortunately, there's, this story is is not very good news. Uh, the, in the past year, in Jan- from January 2016 to January 2017, there have been 41 uh, stranding and deaths of humpback whales along the Atlantic coast, the Northeast Atlantic coast, from North Carolina all the way up to Maine. And I think that's I believe that's where Clay lives and, and Rich and Collins and everybody else. Um, but uh, so it's up up in a lot of people's backyards and it hasn't happened all at once. But like I said, it's happened over a year. And the, the difference is, is people are, you know, the first question I ask is like, is that a lot? It seems like a lot. The average number of strandings of humpback whales per year is 14. And this is 41. So this is obviously a, a big uh, thing to get concerned about. It's a big event. And it, it actually initiated a federal scientist and researcher probe into finding out why this is happening. The trouble is to get to find out why you need to get tissue sampling, you need to move the, the animals. These are 35-foot animals, right? These are beautiful 35-foot animals. Unfortunately, they're dead and they're washed up in a lot of marsh areas where it's difficult to get to. The tides in some areas are only about 20 minutes in between tides, according to the article. Um, so it's just hard to get, like there's a 20 minute window, sorry, uh, between the tides that they can actually get in and get the animal and pull it out. But unfortunately it's so big, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to get out. Uh, then of course you've got decomposing of the, of the body, which is good for the environment because it feeds a lot of other animals and the microbial process and everything, but it probably doesn't look great and it probably smells quite a bit. And there's also the issues of, you know, I'm not sure if you've seen in the news, but there's been issues where uh, as uh, whales decompose they get gassy and things explode and it can get quite nasty uh, but uh, so there's concerns about the cleanup and getting access to the body so that they can actually take biopsies and 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 t- tissue samples to actually bring them back in the lab to find out why they've been hit or why they've been why they've been killed now they know four out of the 41 or i think it was a quarter sorry it was a quarter of the 41 um 25 of the 41 animals have been struck by ships the rest, they have no idea what happened. Now, ship strikes are common, especially along the Atlantic coast where there's a lot of ship traffic. They've put in, you know, governments have put in, uh, you know, ship lanes so that we avoid as many collisions as possible. But unfortunately, it still happens. Uh, but, um, you know, the, at least a quarter of them had ship strike markings. But the other ones, they don't know. So it could be anything. It could be death from ocean noise that affected them and their buoyancy could be and and their navigation it could be metals uh it could be other animals although they didn't mention any kind of bite marks or anything like that and it could just be natural causes there are a lot of things out there could be plastics and then the toxins released from those plastics as it as it breaks down in the body um it could just be the, the other toxins that can get in is like mercury or um arsenic that can bioaccumulate in uh humpback whales from eating fish and um so it just goes out the food line the food chain so there's a lot of things that can affect these whales. Unfortunately, we don't know what's going to happen. The federal uh, scientists are saying that, look, it may be months or even years before we find out if we find out at all what really caused the, you know, the deaths. Now, there, there could have, the animals could have a lot of toxins in them, but it may not have caused their death, although I'm sure it contributed to their death. 
either way, hopefully we get some sort of solution or some sort of, of reason why they died, uh, at least partially, just so that we can try and, and stop what's what's happening, especially if it's a human influence kind of thing, which I'm sure it is. Now, if it's mercury, uh, methyl mercury is, is, is prominent in the ocean, um, and a lot of times it's prominent in the ocean from the actual um, uh, atmospheric um, deposition of, of mercury, methyl mercury in the ocean from burning of coal. Now, this I'm, I'm saying this because the U.S. government right now is having a big push for the coal industry to start back up in many places. This could increase the amount of methyl mercury, especially along the Atlantic coast and other places where these coal mines are, are situated. So that's a big concern in the future, especially if it's methyl mercury. I'm not saying it is, but I have a feeling there's probably some level of methyl mercury in the animals, in these animals, in the in the tissues of these animals. So that's unfortunately that's going to happen. Um, and and hopefully I'll keep you updated on on if I find out anything more on this on these whales. The next story I want to talk about quickly is um, you know I'm not sure if you guys watch Netflix. I watch it quite a bit. There's a new show, a new science show called Bill Nye Saves the World. A lot of you probably know who Bill Nye is. Uh, some of you who are younger might have grown up on Bill Nye. He was he was after my childhood time, but I've known who he is. And he's been in the, in, the, in the news a lot, the mainstream media a lot lately, to talk about climate change and raise awareness about climate change. He's been on CNN. He's been on Fox. He's been on the Bill Maher show. He's been on a lot of different um, MSNBC. He's been on a lot of different um, news networks to sort of, I guess, prompt the government, this this administration to sort of take climate change seriously um now the whether that whether he's effective is another thing the big thing now the, the thing i asked you is do you think that bill nye should be the leader of the climate change movement i asked that because a friend of mine that i know asked the same thing to his facebook followers and i got and i saw the replies and it was very interesting um a lot of people said no he shouldn't be the leader he sounds a little bit jaded um some people don't a lot of people don't connect with him um, some people say that his show that came out feels like he, he's talking down to people, um, almost like that, you know, we're going to put scientists on a pedestal. People attacked him because he only, you know, quote unquote, he only has an engineering degree. Um, but Bill Nye is a smart guy. And I defend him because he's, um, he is a smart guy. He's got a, first of all, anybody with a four-year degree in engineering or science has the right to speak on climate change science. You don't have to be a PhD to talk about climate change science. Even if you don't have an undergraduate degree in science or engineering and you know a lot about it, you have the right to speak. If you, if, if you understand the science journals and you understand the peer-reviewed journals, what's going on in the world, and you can speak intelligently on it, you have the right to speak about it. You don't have the right to be torn down just because you don't have a degree or you only have an undergraduate degree. That is not the case. Uh, so I don't like people attacking him for that. Um, I see how people don't connect with him. I see how people um, can see that he's talking down his show. I didn't like, I like it. I like the idea. I don't like the format necessarily. I don't like the way he speaks. He's, spe he's still speaking like he's speaking to children. And I think a lot of adults can, can see, I can, you can see how a lot of adults will take offense to that. Um, but my, this is my take on whether we should have a leader. Or he should be the leader. Uh, I don't think we need one or two leaders, right? Like, you know, you got Leo DiCaprio, who's an actor who's big on, on making everybody aware of climate change. Adrian Grenier from Entourage, who uh, is big on making people aware of climate change and plastics and so forth. You've got uh, Bill Nye. Uh, you've got Sylvia Earle. You've got all these people who are leaders for sure. But the way I see it is, why 
rely on a handful of people to lead the way. When if you have hundreds of thousands of people leading the way, they can't bring us all down. They can try and take one or two people and bring them down by whatever argument the opposition wants to do. But if you have hundreds, uh, if you have hundreds of thousands of people on social media, right, driving this this forward, this movement forward to say we need to change the way we think about climate change. We need to adapt and we need to reduce climate change effects. And it's all on us. And we understand that and we need to do something about it. That makes waves because they can't bring down hundreds of thousands of people and even more. They can't, like the oppositions can't tear everybody down. No matter what type of arguments they come up with, they can't tear it down. So what I'm saying is I don't think we need necessarily one, like a handful of leaders. I think we need hundreds of thousands of people to just stand up, speak up and say, I'm done. We need to figure this out because it's affecting, not only is it affecting everybody's lives, it's affecting our own personal lives in every kind of way, whether it be through our wallets or whether it be through the environment that we love, whether it be through the lakes or the rivers that we fish in, uh, the storms that affect us, you know, and it affects the ability for us to go out and enjoy nature uh, or just live a normal life. This is this needs to be dealt with. This issue needs to be dealt with. So if we have hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people leading that way, you can't. They, the government or the opposition cannot bring you down, and they are forced to listen. So that's sort of my take. Love to hear your take. I will be hanging out in the fish new in the fish nerds um, Facebook group. Hit me up if you want. Uh, and I'd be more than happy to chat about this. It's all all love. And if you have any other questions about ocean science, ocean conservation, don't be afraid to tag me, Andrew Lewin, in the group, and uh, and I'll be in and out of that group all the time anyways, and I'd love to answer your questions. Thank you very much, Clay. This is the end of the uh, Speak Up for Effin Blue segment. Back to you, Clay. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. And if you have any questions for Andrew or want to find out more about what he does up there in Canada for ocean uh, science and stuff, you can find him on the Fish Nerds podcast group. And of course, you can just Google Speak Up for Blue podcast and find him there. Send him a message. He always loves feedback and likes to hear from people. And we're certainly glad to have him as part of this show. So thank you. All right. Now, Amanda Doty. Uh, is host of Great Beer Adventure Podcast. And she called me last week and said, Hey, Clay, there's a foodie show happening in your neighborhood. Uh, it's at the White Mountain Hotel in North Conway. Uh, Dolan Bailey, who's a food distributor, was putting it on. And so I thought, boy, I can go there and see if they have any sustainable seafood. Uh, but real quick, the reason I'm looking for sustainable seafood is I'm participating in the... Um, citizen science experiment uh, called Eating with the Ecosystem, where every week, for the, every week for the next 20 weeks, I'll be eating a different sustainable fish and trying to find it locally here in North Conway. About 200 people are participating. I'll be sure to report uh, every week or so on how that's going, and I'll share some recipes and pictures, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagrams, so you can find all that there. Uh, but anyway, so Amanda from Great Beer Adventure joined up with me, and we went inside at a very nice hotel and bumped into Kevin Edmonds. Kevin is the guy in charge of the whole event at Dolan Bailey, and of course, he'll give you a little bit of introduction. Uh, Kevin Edmonds, Dolan Bailey, and Northeast Family Farms. A 50-year-old family-owned food distributor whose heart and soul is really local clean food you know you wander around here granted a lot of this is high-end imported or some of this is high-end imported but you know 
we buy it, we've been doing it before local was a word on 900 menus you know we were buying cattle from farmers in the northeast 11 years ago you know we've been doing this for a long time so our northeast family farms program which is that lovely poster right there um, I buy cattle from 25 local farms I have a local sheep farmer in Wind Vermont who raises um, Hampshire Suffolk crosses for us I've got one hog producer in New York. I've got two hog producers in Vermont, all part of the Northeast Family Farms program. I have a poultry producer out of New Haven, Vermont, called Misty Knoll Farms. So what we do is we basically aggregate. We bring the cattle back to our place. We have an abattoir in New York, an abattoir in Vermont that we work with, slaughterhouse. Abattoir is a nicer French word. It's much better, much better. We know what they do, but so they handle the harvest and rough work for it. We bring it back to our establishment in Woburn, Mass where we further fabricate it, break it down into restaurant cuts, and age it appropriately, and then redistribute it to, we have roughly almost 3,000 clients throughout the Northeast, you know, New York. Our fishmonger, Spencer, he's kind of the young dude over there in the corner. Um, he is, he's a, he's a commercial fisherman. He, he runs a 35-foot boat out of Rye Harbor, and he, do, he does it on the weekends. He's not the captain, but he's part of the crew. Um, you know, it's all hand gear. You know, they live bleed everything that they do, and it's stuff is stunning. I mean, he doesn't go out for any. I mean, they bring in a lot of pollock, they bring in a lot of hake, they do bring in some haddock, um, some redfish, it, but they're not mainstream. They're not mainstream. They do it right, and that that local, you know, the way that we run our Northeast Family Farms program is everything is completely transparent. Whether it's seafood, whether it's protein, beef, pork, um, but feel free to wander around, talk to any of our vendors, tell me what you need. All right, I'm, we just wander around, eat some good. food. Well, Seriously, there's good. plenty Definitely. of food. Okay, so we, we made a direct line over to chat with uh, the fishmonger, Spencer Montgomery. Yep, my name's Spencer Montgomery. I'm working full-time as Dolan Bailey's seafood buyer and also part-time commercial fisherman out of Elliott, Maine on a rod and reel boat. So a rod and reel boat. So that that's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's actually commercial rod and reel, one of the last remaining commercial rod and reel boats in New England. Uh, we do jig fishing. We go get up at 1 a.m. in the morning, get on the boat, start steaming out about 40 to 60 miles. Um, right now we're fishing on the hook, and we're catching a lot of pollock. Let me guess. So this is pollock, right? Yep. This is cusk. Yep. This is it. Acadia redfish? Uh, that's no. the only non-local species here. This is a U.S. caught uh, red snapper, snapper. domestic I'm snapper. I'm just guessing by the colors. I was looking for local, right? <laughs> totally. I did have redfish at the last show. Yep, that's a lobster that's a with a kumquat in its claw. <laughs> Which is their native food. <laughs> yes, so. of course. Yeah, yeah so... Yep, I caught these two fish here, the pollock and the cusk. We also catch cod and haddock and Acadian redfish, as you mentioned. Uh, some whiting are coming into season for us now. Um, yeah, we handle each fish individually on the boat. Again, we do jig fishing, so as soon as they get on the boat, we do a live bleed on every single fish. We do the gilling and gutting within a half hour of the bleeding process. And then we will do a double brine with seawater and ice um, at sea, and it produces a beautiful fish where you get a higher culinary yield because of the bleeding process and they also hold a lot longer. Yeah, I was reading actually, uh, even for freshwater fish, people recommending that you do a live bleed in a um, slurry of ice and water. Yeah. You cut the little, um, it's called an isthmus or something between their gills. Okay, yep. And you bleed them right in the, in the ice water is what they're oh, saying. Oh, they bleed it in the water. In the okay, water. Yeah, cool. Fasting them chill down. Sweet. So you catch these at sea and then 
So, so Dolan Bailey's a distributor, right? Yes. So. And where do you send these things? So these go all over. We work primarily with restaurants all around New England, but also some institutional purchasers, stadiums and schools and colleges. Um, so it's been pretty cool to be able to purchase the fish that I'm catching now that I'm working for Dole, because I was actually fishing before I got here uh, commercially. Um, so it's cool. The first thing I did when I started with Dolan Bailey is I got our federal dealer's permit and our state uh, wholesale licensing and permitting so we can buy directly from fishing vessels in New Hampshire, uh, Maine, and Massachusetts. Uh, so we work with about a dozen boats throughout the year now, which is a cool change of pace for things. Being able to buy direct, you really form a relationship with the fishermen. You can have a better understanding of the seasonality and locality of species and what's actually running at the time. Um, so yeah, it brings a lot of good context to my role as a buyer, working directly and forming relationships with fishermen and harvesters. Uh, we do a local bluefin tuna season where we work with about three or four boats that we buy local bluefins direct. We do ground fish. Uh, next week I'll be hitting Hyannis and Nantucket to do some squid fishing oh, that's so on much another fun. friend's boat. Yep. Um, they're out of Rye, New Hampshire. They're called the Rim Rack, and they travel down to Hyannis, Nantucket to hit the squid when it's in season. So, be doing that on Monday, taking the day off from work. You've got a good, you've got a good thing going <laughs> oh, on. Oh yeah. So, so we're big on talking sustainability. Yes. And um, and so, if, in fact, you're not dragging a big net. Put your kind of notches up higher on that schedule of sustainability. Uh, eating what's in season makes yep. a big difference. Are there any like abnormal fish you might? bring back to market that people don't normally eat? Yeah, so that is a, a definitely a part of the sustainability pie, um, working with underutilized, or I like to say underloved species, Absolutely. such as the cusk, right. although the cusk may not be a great adapter to climate change, so I don't know how much longer he'll fit the bill for that. Well, the other thing people with cusk is, you know, they might put this restaurant called Scrod, and they might think that they know, you know, what they're eating, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, cusk is awesome. It's same yeah. same family as codfish, similar flavor uh, flavor profile, a little firmer flesh. Uh, another big part of the equation on sustainability uh, when it comes to seafood for me is being a proponent for utilizing the whole fish, using the leftover heads and bones to make stocks mm -hmm. to incorporate into other dishes, maybe using the collars as a special on the menu. Um, we really and the cheeks of cod. Out. Have you eaten the cheeks? The cheeks, yeah. yep. The cheeks. The tongue. I haven't done anything with so, the tongue. I just but. read a book. We have a, in our podcast. We do a thing called the F and Book Club. Okay. And we just read Cod: The History of the Fish That Changed the World. So if you're a cod fisherman, you should read it because it really is okay. a good history. Huh. But the tongue it doesn't actually mean the tongue. Oh. But it's actually a cut of the under neck here somewhere. I, I don't actually know what it is. Hmm. But they call it the tongue. But it's not just pulling the tongue out. Very interesting. Yeah, just all this meat in the head that you know they have different names for it. There's even some restaurants in Dover, New Hampshire, and Portsmouth now that are taking the leftover fish rack, just mm -hmm. the bones after the fillet's been removed. They're brining and frying the whole thing with the head attached. So you, I, I had a haddock the other day in Dover at one of these restaurants. I ate the entire head. The eyeballs, all the bones. Did you eat the eyeball? How was it? Eh, it was a little overcooked, but yeah. otherwise, if you get them right, they're pretty good. Yeah, I've never <laughs> eaten the eyeballs. I've always shied away a little bit. They're a little chalky when overcooked, but otherwise delicious. Um, but yeah, this idea of uh, another thing that I really like to talk about is eating with the ecosystem. Yes. Taking what the ocean's giving us versus asking for what we want. Well, I'm participating in a citizen science study right now called Eating with the Ecosystem. Okay. And for the next 26 weeks, we're eating... They're assigning us 
fish to find our local markets to cook and eat. And it's huh. going to be everything from, you know, from redfish to dogfish and everything in between. Is that a Rhode Island-based uh, initiative? Or? I, which out of New England, I'm not sure where exactly. Because I know there's a non-profit it's that a I'm non-profit. familiar with exactly. in Rhode Island called Eating with the Ecosystem. It's, it's got to be the same Okay, one. yeah, Sarah Schumann, yeah. Um, really cool people there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And they're doing the big the big 20-week study is to see, first of all, all these other fish available, and then do people actually like eating them? Yeah. That's the trick, right? <laughs> Definitely. So really this is cool. totally cool. And you have little samples of... of yeah, uh, we've got some oysters I'll be shucking. Some, uh, yeah. Can I try one? Yeah, most certainly. These are from Duxbury Bay in Massachusetts. Um, they've got a nice, pleasant brine with a creamy finish to them. And a simple mignonette right there. Yeah. Mignonette? Yeah, so it's just a red wine vinegar... Um, there we go. Yeah, a little, little dab of that. Some shallots and red wine vinegar, black peppercorn. I do a little Meyer lemon juice in mine. Actually, I'll shuck one and we'll do one together. What was your name again? It's Clay. Clay, cool. Really nice to meet you. I live here in Conway, just down the street. Okay. It's easy for me to get here and do this. To fish nerds. <laughs> Get that creamy finish to yeah. it. They're totally delicious. Cool. And those are from Standish. Yep, those are Standish Shores from Duxbury Bay. Totally cool. Okay, so on a personal level, you're not commercial fishing, you're out for fun. What are you fishing for? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I've actually never done much freshwater fishing at all. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends do fly fishing. Love to try it. I just started it this year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing I would like to try. Um, I've never been striper fishing either. So. You're on the water every day. I know, I know. We go no less than 20 miles out to catch the fish that we catch. So we're at a, a little 36 northern bay. So it's a tiny boat to go 60 miles out in sometimes. Uh, well, I might, I might look you up and maybe do a story. If you ever want to bring someone on the water, oh, yeah. do a story. I'd love to come out. Yeah, let me uh, give you my uh, contact. And I'll find I... you. There's my st- t- okay. decals if you want them. Yeah, I would and love those. You're Spencer Montgomery from yeah. Dolan Bailey. I'll, I'll give you everything you need here. Just need- All right, and then right next to him, where's a football player? And I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, I, I don't watch football, so I didn't recognize him. But New England Patriot uh, Jarvis Green was standing there wearing a chef. Uh, uniform that had his Patriot number on it. Uh, anyway, so uh, Jarvis is a giant person, um, larger than 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 life could probably you know eat my whole head in a bite. Uh, and he's a shrimp monger, uh, and we got a chance to chat with him. Now I should kind of um, ask you to forgive the audio a little bit here. As soon as I start recording, the room just blew up with noise. And so we're picking up all kinds of other stuff, but it's kind of a cool little interview, and he was a super nice guy, and we really liked him. Yeah. All right, ClayGrovesFishNurse.com, hanging out with Jarvis Green. Jarvis, so, hi. So, are you having a good time? Yeah, good time. White Mountains, first yeah. time out here. First, I live right down the street here. Okay, great convenient, place. very yeah, beautiful. totally convenient. This is... Amanda Dowdy. She's from Hi. the Great Beer Adventure podcast. How you doing? Good. How She's are you way doing? more fun than I am. Sweet. Yeah. This is Jarvis Green, but he wanted to I I love your chef coat. Thank you. It's awesome. one of the best ones I've seen. Yeah, so what's the history of Ocean's Science Service? Two years in existence. Um, started five years ago. As far as in the 
to feel like shrimping, fisherman shrimp monger. Started five years ago uh, out of a favor. Went to school for engineering, so this is totally opposite from what I went to school for. Uh, retired, what I retired, I guess, about 2010. And kind of like the Forrest Gump story, you know, started off, didn't know anything. Um, worked out, worked with the Asians, and they taught me for six months, worked for free on the boats, did the whole shebang, the peeling, you know, grating shrimp, freezing shrimp, traveling, moving around, and then I got to sales, and then three years, about three years passed, and got to about 1,500 retailers across America, all my sales, and just promoting, promoting. <laughs> business is growing pretty fast, and then, you know, like most businesses, either you go up and plateau or you go down. We plateaued and went down, so I went on my own. Like when I started Ocean 97. Well, I mean, I always, it is. I mean, I always been in the food. I mean, I owned restaurant, liquor stores, did a lot of um, events with Johnson and Wells when I played football. A lot of wine tastings, but I never thought I'd be selling shrimp. And I think it impacts because you know it's about the, the community, the environment, helping the local fishermen. And, uh, and really, that's been the biggest thing for me, working side by side with them, with their kids, their families, and just taking their product and bringing it to a more vast market in the New England area. You know, so the product itself, I mean, going from Albany, New York, to Bangor, Maine, you know, so it's, it's a little niche. You can see the whole country and meet cool, cool people, right? Yeah, yeah, meet cool people all the time, working with different chefs and restaurants. Um, I remember when I owned a restaurant, I didn't know anything about the restaurant business. But, but now just dealing with uh, local chefs and cooking alongside them. Uh, a little experience. I mean, I did Master Chef season two. Yeah, I did that. So, I mean, kind of been around. I have to go back and watch that. Yeah, yeah. I got to the top 100. Yeah, we're going to Ramsey. It's my kids' favorite show. They love it. It is, really? They want, do they watch the kids work? Master Chef Junior. They, they yeah. Love it. Well, that was a long time ago, so. Long, uh, 2010. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it and I'm gonna find. Okay, it. definitely. So what are we what are we tasting today? We got some gumbo, uh, seafood gumbo, chicken and sausage. But we are waiting on the rice. It's, it's getting there. See the steam is coming, so it's working. Once that, yeah, come back around. Cause once we do that, we're gonna serve in the cups. Throw some of the rice. You know, it's not gravy. It's gumbo. This is Patty Martin. So she's local. She's from Foxborough, Mass. She's been in the food business. Stadium is. Yeah. Y'all come down. Y'all come that 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 far south. Yeah, I used to teach in Morris, Massachusetts. Okay. I have a very important question for you. Ask. Do you drink beer? Yeah. Good. Next question. What would be a good beer to pair with this? I think more like a IPA. Yeah. Something very hoppy. A lot of time when you're cooking down south food, it's very spicy. Right. And uh, like, I'm not spicy. It is. You, you got to test that. But it's just like we eat crawfish. You know, you want to like eating crawfish. We, we do a lager. You know, a lager. So more like a Budweiser. But I like some hoppy. There's some really good lagers out there that are uh, locally made now. Um, I like the local beers better. Yeah, me too. Yeah, more history in them, more thought. Yeah. Do you make it up to Maine often? I, go, I mean, uh, Elliot. Yep. So I go deep sea fishing. Yep. Saco sometimes, Portland. Yeah, definitely. Um, did I give you my card? No. All right, you should email me before you come up again, and I will tell you so we're going to find some really good local beers with a lot of history and amazing places to go. Check out. And I'll take you shark fishing. Sweet. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Sako? Yeah, see, we got Elliot. Yeah, yeah, we, we do some blue dogs. Yeah. We catch him and he cut, slice him, eat him. Yeah, we do some Mako out of Sako. Yeah, I never, I never did the Mako. I, I haven't had any experience yet. Pairs well with IPA sauce. Is it? I'll come to um, I will totally bring the beer for that fishing trip. We'll just totally. So y'all know each other? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Podcasting. It's a small community. Right. 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 Yeah. Almost as cool as football. Beer. beer thing. Then we turned around, and behind us with this beautiful display uh, of spices and herbs and all kinds of uh, rubs. And it was Victoria and Carrie from Victoria's Gourmet, and they make packaged rubs. So I had to say, ask them about about um, fish rubs. And of course, they had some ideas, and they gave me some samples. So I'll be sure to use a lot of those in upcoming recipes. Big thanks to uh, Victoria's Gourmet for the samples. How about fish rubs? Fish rubs. Fish rubs. Yes. We've got a zesty lemon herb. We've got a seafood ginger blend. Citrus. Seafood. Toast sesame ginger. Black Smoky Barbecue Chipotle. Yep. That, that that's nice. my speed yeah. right Oh, there. and Honey Aleppo Peppers and for Herbs my favorite. Provence. All of those are great on seafood. Perfect. The only one that I had ever have ever had on seafood is the Herbs of Provence. You've actually had that actual one. Well, not one. this particular brand of it, but... I encourage you two to dry taste it if you're so inclined. It's kind dry of, taste? Yeah, just put take right a little napkin yeah. and take a little scoop and take a little taste. You put it right in your mouth Yeah, and food. just let it sit there for a minute. I'm going to do know, Just a tiny bit. Try the uh, toasted sesame ginger. That one is the one that really helped me. What kind of fish do you... What's your favorite fish, Clay? Uh, so I like a lot of kinds of fish, but I like the kind of the odd species. So like a dogfish would be really okay. good. Skate. Yeah, yeah. But I also like cod and haddock and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like spicy or mild? I like delicious. Kind of so it's also good, uh, Amanda, on like edamame or peas or asparagus. Really? Um, I like to make a, um, this is the black like a chicken broth yeah. with that in it and then throw in some dumplings and make your own wonton soup. Really? Yeah, it's delicious. Oh, that's, that's super good. Oh. Gets you, right? Yeah. yeah. It bites you afterwards. Yeah, it does. Which one are you tasting? The black, the black and black wow. So this is one for tuna and salmon. Yeah, that one I could be, I could see you doing an amazing thing with tuna. Yeah, that'd be totally good. Yeah. Like crusty. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's super good. Yeah. I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a science, science project with eating with the ecosystem where I'll be trying 20 fish over the next 20 weeks. And so I'm looking for... <laughs> New things to cook with them and write about. Well, can we say some samples? I would love to talk about that. Yeah. yeah, let's get him a bunch of samples. Yeah, maybe some fish rub and some grills, and it'd be totally great. Wow, that blackening. I don't know why I put that in my pocket. I think I put the napkin in my pocket. <laughs> Yeah. Zesty lemon. Here we go. Ginger, citrus. Um, I gotta find it. Hang on. I know. I mean, oh, here we go. It, we're just getting used to where all of our stuff is. So these are all for seafood. Nice. Nice. And I'll be doing so many tastings. This will be really great. Absolutely. If you need more, let me know. And uh, yeah, I need your card. I need your contact. Amanda, we are um, toying around with. Um, there's a local cider company in Boston. Yes. Um, I'm not obliged to give their name out yet, That's but fine. I'm sure you can figure out who that is. Um, and we're thinking about doing a cider blend. Nice. I think that'd be really cool. I love. I love how like 
everybody's getting into trying these new different things and really getting a, like it's a huge I love creativity like the whole thing like the whole thing I love doing right now is really like shining a light on the creativity and passion and community that is the craft beverage industry and I just think that yeah I, that's exciting to me that's very exciting well good <laughs> alright yeah and then this isn't fish but whiskey we got to hang out with whiskey nerds. Amazing. 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 And by the way, I can do whiskey nerds. If, if I had to choose a different podcast to do, I would do the whiskey nerds podcast where I would have to just taste whiskey every week. I'm Brian I'm with the Wiggly Bridge Distillery in York, Maine. I'm one of their brand ambassadors. This is Kevin. He's also a brand ambassador. Uh, we brought six spirits to try today. We have our white whiskey, our bourbon. Our bourbon's aged for about two years and new charred American white oak barrels. We have our gin, which is much more, I want to say, new western style gin. It's more citrus floral instead of that really piney, hearty Christmas tree flavor that people are used to. And then we have our vodka, our traditional uh, white rum, which is more of a Caribbean style. Uh, made in Dunder Pit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny, a lot of people don't know how important rum is in American history and how it's, it's likely that rum and cod are the reasons that we won the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Uh, because we were better fed and drunker than the than the British. Did you hear that before? I have. I actually heard a little bit about how uh, the British Navy was the first one to introduce Navy strength rum, and as sailors were paid in rum, the sailors, you know, used to get very watered down rum. Hence, Navy strength came about mm -hmm. to prove that it was actually a quality rum at a high spirit level or high ABV. Excuse me. So that's where proof came from, correct? Is that how they started? Proof that it was right. That is that where the verbiage. I don't know from? if that's the background on it, but I can look that up. Just say it with confidence, and you'll totally be right. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> there are enough people out there that know this we better than I do, people, or I don't want to make people dumber either. Um, we, and then finally, our, our traditional white rum is aged in our used bourbon barrels, and that's what gives us our barreled rum. That sounds okay. That's that's what I want to taste. I mean, I'm a bourbon person, but rum and bourbon together, I might cry. Mm -hmm. it's aged in the bourbon barrels for about six to eight months. It takes on the color, obviously. Some of the hints of the bourbon will be in the finish. Now, do you taste this like you would a wine, swirl it around, swish it? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I normally let people explore it however they want. Everyone has their own unique palate. So, you know, rather than giving you tasting notes, you let us know what, what, what you taste. So is this the rum? This is the rum. Did he tell you that they have a gold medal for this rum? He did not. Right? Did is you like... Uh, this year, we were actually lucky enough that USA Today voted us fourth best craft rum in the country. We have a bunch of other medals, but that's the, that's the one that most people know the best. Um, and then actually, so I took a bottle of this down to Podfest, and it was... Like, everybody loved it. Of course they did. Yeah, it was great. Everyone Big knows fan. podcatchers love rum. That's just the thing. <laughs> you can't. Oh, it's beautiful. That's my four-season go-to. Um, you know, the great thing about rum is that in the summertime, you, you know, throw a little bit of citrus in it. You know, you throw a little simple syrup. You have a daiquiri. In the, in the winter when it's cold, a little bit of hot water. A little bit of you know some spices, and all of a sudden you have like a nice hot grog or hot toddy with it. Exactly. You know, it's impossible to drink a shot of rum and not smile after. Exactly. 
like already I'm Especially feeling Especially when like, it's got a little bourbon kick yeah, in it, too. Like it's crazy. I heard uh, an old sort of story that uh, the reason why you have to smile after rum is because, you know, obviously the cane sugar is grown in Caribbean, you know, style weather where all it gets all day is sunshine, so you're literally drinking sunshine, and you can't drink sunshine and not smile. All right, so let me ask you, that's fantastic. I love that. We should end there. But I actually, but I want to, so if you were pairing, let's say, with salmon, which of these would you drink? Well, um, for salmon, I, I would probably do something whiskey-based, um, just in that space. Uh, you can always go with a rum, but normally I would go with a... Uh, so the bourbon. Yeah. So you better let me taste the bourbon. Absolutely. You have to try the bourbon. I have no choice. <laughs> work I mean, if you said shrimp, I'd go gin all day, every day, oh, but... Yeah. I don't know. not my favorite. So. This, uh, we actually made a gin for people that don't like gin. Really? Doesn't taste like paper? Uh, well, Doesn't most people like don't not sprays. like gin. They don't like Bad juniper. Yeah. Oh. So we did a a blend of gin that actually has fifty four percent Croatian juniper. So you're not going to taste that kick in your face with a pine tree. But right. So to be a gin, typically your highest gram weight, your highest botanical gram weight needs to be juniper. So essentially, you could have a whole list of other botanicals that to use in it. We use angelica root, orris root, jasmine, coriander, orange peel to kind of bring out that citrus floral instead of that hearty pininess. Thank you. You're welcome. It's totally good whiskey, uh, bourbon. Thank you. And then I'll have you two years old. Um, oh, no more. No more. Okay. No more. Yeah. Okay. I want more, but I. Um, you know better. Yeah. Okay. It's still one o'clock, right? I have to work this afternoon. So. I live here in Conway, so this is that's amazing. I'm taking, I'm taking like a long lunch. And, like, I live in New York, so next time you come down, let us know. We. Uh, I will. Actually, just bought a new place on the river, so uh, waiting for the first striper season to kick in. It's coming. Mics are hot. All right, Clay Groves, FishNerds.com, and hanging out here at the White Mountain hotel with amanda dowdy from great beer adventure podcast my new best podcast buddy <laughs> that's because we're the only two people that can like we'll get together in the podcast world it's a, here so, in maine in new hampshire it, it really is bizarre i know you've done these podcast meetups and, and nobody you, comes nobody comes i put together a um, new hampshire podcast group on facebook and Nobody joined. <laughs> no, no, you were in part of the main one. And you're yeah. like, anybody want to come to New Hampshire? Chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> no. Nobody wants to come to New Hampshire. You know, I'll tell you why. Here's the trick: is they're intimidated. Your podcast is arguably the best podcast out of Maine, and <laughs> and mine you. is the fourth best out of New Hampshire. <laughs> so it's perfect. <laughs> I haven't listened to all of them. Oh. So I, have you literally listened and like? rated yourself as the fourth best no so there's there's not it's hard to find them to be honest yeah but the hippo press called me the other day and they're doing a story on the top 10 new hampshire based podcasts yeah and i said were you able to find 10 she goes i don't know and she <laughs> and she gave me a list of the podcast she found the only one on there i heard of was me <laughs> so nice and uh, i know some other ones that she didn't have on the list um did you offer those up or did you keep quiet no screw her um (laughs) (laughs) no she was looking for in her region in the manchester catch area okay um it's a funny thing because people think podcasts are regional yeah they don't realize that we reach everybody i know and that's the thing is everybody will say to me like oh great beer adventure you you know where are you out of who cares right well i'm out of portland but what difference does that make? You're right. Yeah. Like, literally 15% of my audience is from Maine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do about 40% from Massachusetts and half are in California. Mine, oh, I got a big portion that are down in like Australia. I get a lot of Australian listeners too. Yeah, yep. podcasting's big down there. It is. You know why? No. It's such a big country and there's no radio waves. They can't get anywhere. Oh. I made that up. I have no idea. No idea. That was good. You should have just gone with it. I, I would have been like, listen, did you know uh, this? Uh, and I, then I would have to source you. A new fact. <laughs> I lose confidence. But anyway, we're here at the uh, White Mountain Hotel. At the Dole and Bailey Food Hub, they these pop-up uh, expos, I guess. It's like an expo. Yeah. And there's just tables full of food that we got to go in and try. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, you know, a lot of fargua. Fargua? Fargua. Far- no, I can't say it. Yeah. And if I'm honest, um, you know. Oh, I see. I love it with just like smeared a little bit. Smeared, but, yeah. But one, it's not a very like... Tasty. Wonderful thing to do for the to the duck. It's, I think it's goose. Or that maybe it's goose. It's goose or it? duck. Yeah. I don't know, but it's like they're force fed corn until their livers. Yeah, I would like that. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, yeah, and so I don't know. We had one that was fried, and that one was not my favorite. I had one that was mixed with bratwurst. Yeah, and it tastes like bratwurst mixed with something mushy. <laughs> 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 it was like I, I was telling the guy. I said, "You know, I, I'm an ice fishing guide, and I feed bratwurst to my to my guests when we're ice fishing." And he goes, "Well, this would be a very expensive lunch for them." And I didn't want to tell him. I'm like, "Yeah, but they'd also prefer the cheap bratwurst." <laughs> yeah, but I like creative people. They're being super creative. With they that. are, and I do love that. Yeah, but we're, there's some great food in there too. Yeah, we were talking about those spice um, girls, Victoria Gourmet. Yes. Yeah, and they were um, they were talking about. The fact that they're going to be working with a meadery, uh, not mead, cidery. 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 Yes, cidery. It's a secret. I'm not going to say. I don't know who it is. She wouldn't tell she us. She wouldn't tell us. No. But I like that the creativity and the passion and all that stuff is there. I really love that. I love that too. And um, they gave me a whole bunch of rubs to put on fish. Yeah. So I'll be reporting, you know, even weekly or bi-weekly. I'll try these new rubs out. And yeah. I'll tag them up in the post and see what they think. And Yeah, and then they were like, oh, I guess we better give you one or two, too. Yeah, yeah. the, the booby prize. Now, the, <laughs> the booby prize. I don't know if it's booty or booby. I don't but know. The, um, I don't the, think it was booty prize. <laughs> That'd be like a good thing. Like, booty, booty, booty. Well, Booby's also good. So then they... <laughs> They, they, um, they do this thing where they, hey, take some, t- just taste it. Like, yeah. And the idea of putting a mouthful of rub in, um, that part was, <laughs> yeah. It was good. And then at the same time, it was awful. Right. Because and it's they, like, like a punch a, in the face they of They put a flavor. big, sp- like, it was a little spoon in, like, a general sense of the word. Yes. <laughs> but in a spice to eat raw, like, just dry. Yeah. It was a big portion. I would love to do that, like, to my kids and not tell them <laughs> what I'm giving them. It's, <laughs> it's like, like, here you go. Try this. It's going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> but my kids already don't trust me because it's not like Yeah. Um, I throw mushrooms in burgers. I love mushrooms and burgers. Yeah. My, my wife kids, does not. <laughs> my kids love it. They uh, don't like mushrooms by themselves. And they will literally tell me specifically, Mommy... I I like mushrooms in burgers, but don't give it to me any other way. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and we met uh, Jarvis. What was his name? I don't know. We met a football player. Oh, Jarvis Green. Jarvis Green. He was with the with the uh, Patriots. Patriots. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so useless. I've never watched a football game all the way through, so I didn't. I have no idea who he is. You said he's Jarvis Green, but he won't admit to it. And I was like, Is he really? Like, I don't know. Because well, I walked up to him. I said, are you Jarvis Green? He goes, I just like to wear his clothes. <laughs> so I said, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And and then I started like I was just standing there and reading things. I'm like, oh, I think he actually really is Jarvis Green. Yeah, no, he's for real. Yeah. But it's a neat transition to go from like professional football player to uh shrimp monger. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like going from an accountant to a teacher to a beer podcaster. Is that what you've done? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. They make no sense whatsoever. No, but you know, life does that to us, right? <laughs> My favorite though was your friend. What, Kevin? Kevin. Kevin, yeah, Kevin. Wiggly Bridge. They're wonderful. And uh, I tasted some uh, some rum, and I tasted some bourbon, and I enjoyed them both very much. And I, I <laughs> smiled like... I, <laughs> You're I, still smiling. I'm still so happy. So <laughs> I'm such an alcoholic. I'm a bad person. So. Um, your show is about fish. Mine's about booze. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know if you're really talking to the right person here. About? About smiling from alcohol because that's what i do you all the get time it. Yeah. that's what i do all the time uh, well yeah i mean i chose just, the wrong topic i know i'm gonna do that's your fault. i'm gonna make a new podcast called the excellent beer adventure <laughs> it's, it's not it's not it's not a great one it's excellent excellent <laughs> yeah nice yeah. yeah the mediocre beer adventure i'll go to like patch blue ribbon plants bush <laughs> The uh, kind of passable for beer adventure. Yeah, it's, it's yellow and it's cold. <laughs> the beer adventure. Yeah, be it's yellow and cold beer adventure. Yay! A little stale, a little <clears throat> flat, but nice. it's okay because it... It's the, yellow and it's cold. Because the hipsters are drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> Stick a lime in it, it all tastes like Corona. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's true. Yeah. All right, any, any last minute thoughts? Um... I really want some like melted cheese. <laughs> Excellent thought. <laughs> Nothing to do. <laughs> I'm glad we had this talk. I'm so glad I spent time with you today, Amanda. I bring a lot of sunshine into the world. <laughs> it was, yeah. Look, see, literal sunshine. Literally here. So, all right. So that's uh, Amanda Dowdy from the Great Beer Adventure Podcast. And if you're not already listening to that show, you should because. She needs listeners, and you need <laughs> entertainment. So it's a perfect match. There you go. It's a match made in free heaven. That's right. I know. <laughs> you, if you're paying for your beer podcast, you're overpaying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Why should you ever want to pay for a beer podcast? That's a very fair question. Yeah. All right. We're good. Okay. Cheers. So that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds and other kinds of nerds when you definitely should have been fishing. We would like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you would like would like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash fishnerds. Help us crowdfund this show. Give us a dollar, man. Come on. Uh, special thanks to Doc Martin for her song parody. God, we love that, Doc Martin. Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for Blue Podcast. Of course, all the folks from the Dole and Bailey Show for feeding us and giving us whiskey. And we can't forget to thank Amanda Doughty from the Great Beer Adventure Podcast. Get that everywhere you get your podcast. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often, avoid free lunches with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. 